Oh, hello again. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, version one, and you're here in Parts Unknown, the show that takes you back through the great, the good, and the god-awful of WrestleManias of yore. Today, we're taking a stroll back in time to 2003 and WrestleMania 19 from Safeco Field in Seattle. That's right, Brock's botch, Booker's burial, Stone Cold Sayonara, and Vince's victimization. I'm a crack addict. That's right, I'm a crack addict. You heard me. I'm a crack addict. I'm addicted to cracking skulls, etc. and so on. Yeah, I'm sorry to report that we've reached that curious period in WWE history when they became obsessed with Limp Biscuit, who provided the official theme for this mania, the aforementioned family-friendly hit, Crack Addict. More on that bunch of roustabouts later, but first let me introduce my panel of WWE aficionados. First up, the professor of wrestling, Carrie Dean Dunn. Hello. Alongside Gary today from Sky Sports News, he is the next big thing. It's Anton Tolui. Hello there. And last but by no means least, our very own Texas rattlesnake, Carl Anker. Excelsior. <laughs> so this is a really interesting WrestleMania. It's one that did dreadful business at the box office in comparison to the other manias of around this time. The official buy rate was just north of half a million, the lowest for a WrestleMania since 1997, and more than 300,000 fewer than both the year before and the year after. Carl, what do you attribute that to? Limbiscuit. <laughs> and that's the real quiz uh, let's get on to the matches then first up we'll start with a gruesome brawl between Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan uh, this was the third match from the top on the night but seeing as Terry B's been in the news of late uh, we're recording summer 2018 shortly after the start of his reintegration into WWE thought we'd get the Hogan chat out the way we'll talk about the match shortly but we've got to discuss the so-called apology made to the locker room and what happens next Anton we've had a couple of weeks now to digest the return how are you feeling about the prospect of Hogan back on WWE TV and how has the company handled it so far? Uh, uncomfortable. It wasn't just a slip of a word and oh, it's what we use and this is you know this is the back. It was his view. This is this is my problem with what Hogan said and this, he was talking about his views about how you know white people should get with black people and that, that was his opinion. Therefore, he is a racist. So you know. <laughs> Say what you want, you know, he may well have done more work in the community, he may well have done more work with the, the boys and girls clubs in America and that kind of thing. That is a racist mindset. And the worst thing I think about it, Carl, is the, the lack of contrition that he's apparently shown. He, his gripe with it is that he didn't know he was being recorded and, and his, the thrust of his message to the locker room, we're told, is watch what you say in case you're being recorded rather than don't hold abhorrent views about people. The thing I particularly rankled when, like, so obviously I've got news alerts up to my phone for WWE news, so every now and again my phone buzzes and Daniel Bryan's back, and I'm, like, amazing and hug the person I'm with. The, uh, the Hogan news, I nearly smashed my phone, not because he was coming back, because he was always coming back. I said before he's always going to come back. I said before, I'm probably going to pop when he does you, because that's a good spot. It's It was the framing of it as a three-year suspension. It was... Via accidental design, there is now a benchmark as to what we as a wider society do when someone is racist. Oh, we now know someone will get three years if they call me that word. If if I go to someone's house and their dad goes, oh God, I can't believe she's dating her. Three years on the naughty bench and they'll come back and get stuff. That, that particularly saddens and rankles me. Titus O'Neil has had a lot of feelings about this. Um, Mark Henry says the locker room is 50-50 on the black superstars. The New Day have basically been like, if you're going to have a Hall of Fame, which we have, Hulk Hogan should be in it based on the body of his WWE work, which I'm of the opinion, yeah, fine, you can't airbrush that out. Just don't frame it as a three-year suspension. 
make him apologize properly. Don't have him anywhere near the current Brede product. Don't announce it at a time where ratings are low, so you want to kick up the bum. And then don't announce Evolution as a way so we kind of forget about it. Like, we can see what you're doing. I think it's quite interesting, actually, the way the New Day did respond to it, the statement they put out, because you're right, they said about, uh, you know, based on his body of work, then he should be in the Hall of Fame. But the rest of it was so ambivalent about him, it was so carefully worded that if you read between the lines, it was an actual condemnation. They were basically saying the apology wasn't good enough, it wasn't a proper apology. And I think it's interesting what you're saying about his previous excuses. I mean, we keep getting it again and again. You get um, right-wing councillors in the, in the UK kind of saying terrible things and people go oh well you know they're in their 60s and well what you know they grew up in the 1960s and 70s there's literally no reason it's not like they grew up in like 1920s uh, Weimar Republic you know it's this is it is not acceptable and the way that WWE continually try and wriggle out of things in the pursuit of making further profit makes me sick yeah, and they do that in lots of ways, and it would be good for them to realise that wrestling in 2018 just doesn't, doesn't need, need Hulk Hogan. It, doesn't it just need. really doesn't. That's that's the thing. The announcement, just as your product is failing because you can't be bothered to write a goddamn storyline, so the thing you're going to do is break emergency glass to bring back Hulk Hogan, the racist, choking uh, on my own rage. <laughs> Let's um, let's move on to the match, as trite as it seems to do so, but that's the whole point of this podcast. Um, the build-up had featured a blood-soaked contract signing, and that served as an amuse-bouche for the amount of claret that would be spilled in Seattle. Um, Anton, guilty pleasure or just gross? Bit of, bit of both. <laughs> bit of both. I mean, there's so much, so much wrong with this. I mean, why it's a street fight between two men in their 60s makes absolutely no sense. Um, all the Hulk sort of power-up gimmicks don't work when you've been slammed through a table. It's a street fight. That doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Why was the Spanish announcer here? Oh, what did he do? Hugo Savinovich. Poor, poor Hugo. That was absolutely unnecessary. Was that? Do you think that that was a planned spot? Because he looked really, really upset he and did, in yeah. a lot of pain. I, I, it strikes me as one of those things that I think they've gone, this is going to happen. He's gone, no, 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 it won't. And it did. And then Rowdy Roddy Piper comes out. And so it just gets even more bizarre because there's another old man in the ring, except he's going around and he's spitting on every prick that he sees, like 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 a sort of geriatric orgy. And it's it's all, and while he's shouting, "Come on, Junior!" It's all really weird, but I'm still kind of enjoying it. Hulk Hogan's theme is nice. Uh, the argument of who invented Hulkamania is ridiculous because it was clearly Vince. <laughs> yes, it's clearly Vince. Why are you trying to kill Hulkamania in 2003? Vince's argument of I'm really annoyed that you left and went over to WCW and now I have to destroy you makes sense if he came back at like 10 years. What, what, huh? It does. It did give us the amazing botched promo on SmackDown where Hogan goes, you just trying to say I'm the right guy at the wrong time <laughs> with the right... Do you want to say that I'm just... The... <laughs> That's the silver dome all over again. Yeah, classic Terry. Um... <laughs> The the general consensus carries that one of the reasons the buy rate for this event was so poor was that this was pushed as the main event more so than, than any of the matches. It's his front cover of the DVD, I believe, all that kind of stuff. Um, that was obviously a bit of egotism, maybe on Vince and to a lesser extent Hogan's part that, that went wrong. But we ought to um, at least acknowledge Vince's Here's Johnny moment where he's covered in blood and screaming maniacally and it's like... This is so strange. You, you're worth almost a billion dollars on certain days. 
Yeah, I'm not sure that I would buy a DVD with that on the cover, to be honest. Um, yeah, again, it's a, it, it's a match with too much blood for, for my taste. And also it has both Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan. So not that bothered about it. And yeah, watching two men of their vintage do this to themselves. It's like watching my dad do it. I don't want to see that. <laughs> Poor old man. Sit down, have a nice cup of tea, have a rest. It's not good. My last word on that would be WWE, you've just signed a mega money TV deal. Just pay to have the rights to Voodoo Child as Hogan's entrance because the dubbed over version that they have on the network is horrendous. All right, so only one match down, still much more to cover. We'll be doing that next as Parts Unknown rolls on. 
Um, and he's going to get better as we go back in time. So this is broken Stone Cold. This is two knee braces Stone Cold. This is Stone Cold with barely any moves left. Punches, kicks, mud hole, Fez Prez. And he's, you can still tell a story, which is amazing. And I think a thing that doesn't get talked enough about in terms of great main eventers is how they can sell the basics. And Stone Cold was an amazing seller of punches and kicks. Yeah, everything got all brawly and you spammed all the finishes. But there's a bit where they're on the announce table and the rocks grabbed Stone Cold's knee and drives the knee into the announce table. Stone Cold looks hurt, but rather than push up on his arms and then get off to go on the announce table, he sort of pushes off and slides off the back of the announce table and rolls around, which is, yes, that's a realistic way you'd move your legs after you've just had your knee driven and you can't get enough give. And it's those tiny ways he moves his body. Uh, yeah, you look as if you're legitimately hurt. That I would never have got as a 15-year-old because I'm just like, yeah, he's swearing and he's drinking beer all the time. But uh, as I get older, I do appreciate Broken Stone Cold and how he gets so much from so little. This is Broken Stone Cold and a mentally broken Stone Cold. He's going through his third divorce. This is a guy that, like I said, was hospitalised the night before, officially left to drink too many energy drinks. But this is a guy with high blood pressure and panic attacks. This is what he, this is, these are the symptoms he's having. You know, this, this is a guy that hasn't really wrestled properly for, for nearly a year. And you can see, I thought there's a, a sort of telltale sign of what a struggle it had become for him in that he has OMR stitched into his vest, which stands for one more round. And it's almost like he's saying to himself, just get through this. And he's, he admits before he was ner- he's ner- really nervous tomorrow, yeah, about the bout, about the but also about going back to being Steve Williams the next day. But actually he's quite relieved about that. He just wants to get through the match. And in the mania of WrestleMania sort of... WWE documentary which is the movie that Lawler refers to at various points during this broadcast um, you see Jericho and uh, sort of say good luck to uh, Austin before he before he goes to the ring and he just says come back safe and that and you're just kind of thinking everybody knows how physically broken Austin is but I don't think people knew how mentally broken he was at the time so Rock won to set up his feud with Goldberg the next month and um, Dr. I said that this is one of the greatest, maybe the greatest feud in WrestleMania history. Have I overcooked it there? Can you think of another that comes close? No, I think that would probably be be my pick for, for greatest feud. Um, yeah, all the stuff you're saying about Austin, I think, is 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 true. And I, I don't think it's a kayfabe killer the way that the rock whispers to him. It's if, if you know what's happening, it's not a kayfabe killer. It's just seeing the way that wrestling works. And it doesn't necessarily mean to say it doesn't fit into storyline because you can still respect someone that you don't like for being a great champion, which obviously Austin was. So even if you knew what Rock was saying, that would still make sense to me. Um, I find it quite funny to see Rock being relatively small here and him coming out <laughs> for the kind of main, well, a main event match and just looking, you know, where, where's the rest of you, The Rock? You, you, you look tiny, you look like a midget version, a little doll-sized version of The Rock. But we spoke last week about um, him hamming it up in the, the three-on-two against Evolution. This is the first time that we're getting uh, into the series where we can actually say what a brilliant wrestler Dwayne Johnson was slash is and given the state that Austin was in here you imagine that Rock did a lot of the heavy lifting and and we got a more than passable match when you know one of the guys probably shouldn't have been wrestling at all no absolutely and also not just a great wrestler but also his talent at acting and the the story that's being told I mean I, I never kind of really get a huge amount 
of emotion from Austin in terms of, we, you know, I know that Carl's talked before about uh, Michael's being an emotional lightning rod. You don't ever kind of get that sense from Austin, but you do get that sense of kind of exhaustion, I think, uh, in this match. That this, is the, this is the end of the line. And I think Rock works with that really, really well as, uh, also alongside that. Yeah, and we got one of my um, wrestling phrases that we love here. Hard Irish whip. Don't hear that in any other language but wrestling, do you? Um, let's go to the title bouts then. First, we'll look at the match which headlined the show. Defending WWE champion Kurt Angle, putting the gold on the line against the young and sprightly Brock Lesnar. After a ton of interference from Team Angle and Kurt's brother Eric in the build-up, the stip here was that Angle can't be DQ'd or counted out and no one can interfere on his behalf. It was Brock's mania debut and we were treated to just over 20 minutes of really, really great action. But, Anton... There was only one moment that people were talking about when the match ended. God, it's brutal, isn't it? It's horrible, horrible to watch. I mean, talk us through it for those who haven't seen it. Oh, okay, fine. So um, the storyline of the match is these two guys are really evenly matched, and it gets to the end where Brock has Angle looks like he's beaten in the ring, but he goes put the exclamation point on, goes up to the top rope, and goes for the shooting star press and lands on his head on Kurt's shoulder and it is horrific because he is out he's done in a way when someone doesn't just get concussed they're in actual pain where you can almost see their eyes sort of rolling in the back of their head and they're trying to contemplate how much pain they're in because you know their ears are ringing and and they can't see straight and and it's horrible. It's horrible to watch. And in an interview with Kurt afterwards he he said he I thought I was dead. I, I genuinely thought he was paralysed because Brock's Brock's out. Brock is out, and it's just, it's it's awful. And everybody in the arena, all fifty four thousand people in Seattle, can see exactly what's happened, and it's horrific. Apparently, he'd done this in OVW, and um, Jim Ross had said, "Hey, it'd be a hell of a WrestleMania moment if you do it again." But what I found weird was we'd had this match where you'd had these amazing sequences of moves. You got Brock doing the ridiculous gorilla press on Kurt, then a ginormous pair of suplexes. Angle does four of his own. Angle's released German suplex that flips Brock over 360. You just didn't really need the shooting star press. So, they practice this over and over and over again. And when you watch the match, Kurt Angle is maybe two-thirds of the way away from Brock. When Brock Lesnar does this on OVW, he clears halfway every time. Perfect. Easy. Two-thirds of the way. Easy. 70% of the way. Easy. When you watch it, there is a little half-second pause he does before he does the leap. So he bends his knees stops and then bends again and then jumps and Brock says yeah if I should have just stopped got down steady gone and tried again and then I would have made it that's largely why he did it because he didn't get the full spring he needs so I've talked to quite a few people in wrestling right now the star press from standing is a lot easier to do than the star press from um, middle rope or top rope so from standing you can just all your own energy do whatever you want from top rope you've got to get velocity and really get the strength over so one he, he can very clearly do that move two Taz oh my god do not why did you say that uh, so Taz when the match is finished goes how is Lesnar not dead right now in a true sort of he's broken kayfabe and just this is awful um, the camera obviously has to keep shooting Brock Lesnar after he's won the title and he there's a little bit where he's going to throw up and he goes, holds it down, and they keep shooting up and down. And eventually, Kurt picks him up because Kurt, in between the concussion bit, Lesnar telling the ref, Kurt basically goes, stand up and hit me another F5. Kurt picks him up, hugs him, 
to sort of take the camera away from Lesnar's face. And he's basically like, we're going to get you inside and we're going to sort you ra- right out. Um, those two have a particularly weird history because they've both broken necks facing each other. And I think it's 2-1. Brock Lesnar's broken Kurt's neck, which is... Oh, boy, wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carrie, Carl's alluded to Kurt's role here at the end and the fact that he was able to do that. I think because of the way he's portrayed on Raw these days, we've been speaking about how great he is the last couple of weeks, but it's worth reminding people who maybe weren't around at this time, he was being held together by sellotape, basically, at this point, Kurt Angle, and he was able to execute the match that he did, think as quickly as he did to save the finish. He was a phenomenon, wasn't he? Absolutely. Kurt Angle, I I, I love Kurt Angle, and yes, held together by sellotape he may have been, but... I think a lot of that is also kind of powered by sheer willpower. It's just kind of pushing through regardless. And, yeah, one of the things that wrestlers always talk about is kind of the responsibility to the other person who's in the ring with you. And obviously that's what took over for Kurt there. It's not so much about protecting yourself. Once the other guy is completely beaten up to that extent, it's making sure that he finishes, you both get back back to the back, and then you both get the treatment that you need to get because you know you can't you can't be left out in the ring hanging like that yeah kurt would have sort of quite radical neck surgery shortly after this um to, it was like a minimally invasive operation wasn't it they called it to clean up a bit where he should have had a proper one and he came back and carried on and he's just a freak really. he's putting it off and putting it off and then interview a couple of days before uh this main event he's he's, he's exactly where sometimes they feel on top of the world sometimes they feel like crawling up and crying because he was in that much pain going into this match just because of the chronic neck issues that he hadn't dealt with. So he is a, he was a, he's a, he is top five sort of for me of all time. I just absolutely adore him for his character work and just how quickly he gets the industry and how much fun he is. But also just, you know, he seems like a guy that A, loves it, and B, that his first thought was to try to get Brock out of that situation. Well, decent guy, decent teammate. Don't try this at home, folks. Right, we need your help to grow this brand into a WWE-sized behemoth. So if you know someone who's maybe a Laps fan who would enjoy a stroll down memory lane or maybe just someone who's fed up with the current product, give them a nudge in our direction. Uh, back to WrestleMania 19 then and the World Heavyweight title match between Triple H and Booker T. I don't like to speak for the panel, but I think I can do so pretty accurately here by just saying yeesh. And the infamous build for this match saw Triple H and WWE go for the kind of cheap heat or more accurately racially insensitive nonsense that was commonplace some 20 or 30 years prior, but which in 2003 was particularly jarring. Hunter had kicked off the feud with the promo that caused the most ire. And I'm going to read it verbatim here and you can decide for yourself what to make of it. This is what Triple H said. I think you're a little bit confused about your role in life here. You're getting to go to WrestleMania, but the fact is, Booker, somebody like you doesn't get to be a world champion. People like you don't deserve it. That's reserved for people like me. That's where the confusion is. You're not here to be a competitor. You're here to be an entertainer. That's what you do. You entertain people. Hell, you entertain me all the time. Go ahead, do a little dance for me. Go ahead, give me one of those spinneroonies. Entertain me. That's your job. Don't be embarrassed. You're here to make people like me laugh with your nappy hair and your suckers I was laughing all week long after you won that battle royal and um, the key phrase here I think is nappy hair without that one could defend the promo and the angle as the likes of Bruce Pritchard has with the excuse that they were making reference to WCW not being as good as WWE rather than people of colour not being as good as white people um, Carl explain to us if you will the, the etymology of that phrase and why it is so offensive uh, it's the idea that black hair with is, is naturally unclean Dirty, uh, unkempt because it is not. It grows in a double helix rather than straight hair. It's the 
the idea that I am some sort of uh, cartoon character who has flies spinning around me at all points in time and I can't wash myself and that's probably why I have skin colour looks like this. Uh, can I swear? Motherfuck this feud. Motherfuck Triple H. Motherfuck everything involved in this. Um, from what I understand and from Booker T doesn't particularly want to talk much about this match is one thing he gets interviewed a lot about how do you feel about it he goes eh you know it happens um, if it was a real fight I would have won because I would beat everyone up in true Booker T bullish style because Booker T's a company man and whatnot. but from my understanding around it from people who do kind of know something is that this was pretty much a, on the day they just switched the the order of it just apparently one day they rock up do the go through the Wrestlemania script and the powers that be went what Booker's winning no 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 Triple H wins and if you watch the match, everything looks like it's set up for Booker T to win. So he has the whole. There are two or three moments where Booker is struggling. He's got his legs have been targeted by Triple H, so he can't do the spinner Rooney. He gets two or three moves. There's a bit where Ric Flair tries to interfere, and Booker knocks out Ric Flair, goes to hit the big move, goes to pin Triple H, and that's it. That's the big cathartic release to all this racial hatred and nonsense. And the Triple H reign of terror is over, and you have Booker T standing tall as the first black champion of your highest title and it doesn't happen and then hits him with a pedigree 21 seconds pass and one arm over him to to make the ping but it's interesting that you say that 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 you thought they switched it later on because I thought Carrie that I knew Triple H was winning from a raw before when Booker pinned him because that's old school wrestling the old school booking Mm. yeah it's the uh, if someone wins on the go home then they're not going to win in the in the pay-per-view but yeah, I mean, I, I was also kind of still expecting Booker to win because that would be that would be what makes logical sense of an awful, awful feud and your terrible, terrible heel promo from Triple H. But otherwise, you're just are you not just reinforcing the awful stuff he's saying? The fact that they plumbed into Booker T's real life history mm. and, and Booker T cuts the promo. Yeah, you know, I grew up with next to nothing. It was just me and my mum. I got caught in some trouble. I got caught robbing a Wendy's. He robbed this, in real life. He robbed a series of Wendy's, went to prison for it, came out, tried boxing for a bit, got into wrestling, did WCW. Booker T has a particularly odd space in WWE where he is, on one hand, very much appreciated for being one of the few top WCW guys to come over, but also has the, now you're here, we're going to ruin you. Um, so he gets in that feud with The Rock, where The Rock just goes, what, you've won five WCW championships? means nothing. Here, look, I've won your title now. Um... Part of it apparently is influenced by the fact that the test match between him and Buff Bagwell with WCW that came off the Raw was a complete bomb. Uh, part of it is, is from what we understand, Vince is just just gets really petty with things that he doesn't own or has never created. I'm just going to ruin this for a bit and then I just won't take you seriously. But if you talk to anyone from... So I was WCW growing up. WCW was on Channel 5. So it was either watch WCW or watch robot wars and it was late wcw it's like 2000 wcw so all i get is booker t versus maybe goldberg was injured at the time so booker t's the one of the greatest with like the first great baby face i have and he looks like me too and he is dumb and hype feels weird to say he's athletic bret hart thinks he's one of the greatest lost baby faces in wrestling history he's incredibly funny like they lock him in the lower mid card for a lot of his WWE run, and he makes so many dumb tag teams work. He gets 
so much great work out of that King Booker feud and sticking up your pinky ring. Like, Booker T, I don't, and the thing about Booker T being funny is, I'm not sure Booker T knows he's funny. He's just got that natural charisma and stuff. And I was like, just give it to him. When he comes out to this match, he's got everything a face needs. He is bubbly personality, great smile, can do the I'm going to absorb all your damage and then pop up and hit you with a spinner rooney. He's got Can You Dig It Sucker, which is the nice catchphrase of babyface needs. He's got Flyer coming out. He's got a great theme song, but he's not going to get through because this is WWE, which is the history of WWE is a weird mirror of the history of the United States. And you're not going to get that sort of black man get to the top because people aren't thinking enough properly. We don't hear much from Booker T, Anton, about this. What what do you think Triple H in 2018 would say? I noticed that it, it, in the very few interviews that he does about wrestling, nobody's ever particularly asked him about it recently. Do you think he would be full of remorse or would he say, no, no, you misunderstand it, we were talking about WCW? That's exactly what he'd say. Well, we don't talk about how previous tag teams, uh, just before this era, the the Ricos and the Billy Guns and that kind of thing were lampooned because they were camp and because there was there was an element of of unacceptance of of, of any kind of LBGT culture in you know in in wrestling at the time we won't we won't mention that we you know, it was just it was just a thing that happened and it was funny uh, and they're certainly not going to mention any anything to do with you know any kind of oh well maybe maybe we you know, maybe we were used ambiguous language which actually we knew exactly what and they dialed into it with the Mexican America thing didn't they with um, Zeb Coulter yeah. Um, one thing that particularly st- strikes out to me whenever anyone brings this up but oh Triple H doesn't know what he's doing is the fact that to this day they will bring up the time where DX imitated Nation of Domination and Triple H is blacked up trying to do The Rock and to this day there are very recent clips where all the DX like laughing man that was just a great time in the actual year I'm like, you've blacked up you've blacked up Triple H is blacked up and he's trying to be The Rock and it's incredulous rage uh, like similarly there's a very very good DVD segment where they're all talking about how Roddy Piper's great and there's the time where Roddy Piper shaved a black dwarf and they're all oh, it's really really funny and it cuts to Booker T and Booker T goes what the hell man something ain't right in Denmark and it cuts and it's in that true Booker T style of every now and again he can say something incredibly cutting and insightful that no one else understands because WWE doesn't care to understand racial politics and they think anything Booker T says is funny. But Booker T saying, what the hell, there is something rotten in Denmark, pretty much sums up everything about racial politics in WWE. And I thank you, Booker T, for saying that, even if you, even if I'm not sure you knew what you were doing there. <laughs> I would recommend reading Booker T's uh, autobiography, if you haven't already. Um, it's very, very honest. And he's kind of... He says probably more about WWE and his feelings about it than you might expect him to in that kind of way. But also he talks a lot about his early life and how he got, as you say, how he got to, be, to become a professional wrestler. And I, you know, I don't imagine he... I mean, we've talked before about uh, real-life things being used in storyline. I don't imagine Booker would have minded like his history being used in the feud because, obviously, it's all true. But again, I'm going to come back to Jerry Lawler again. The way that Lawler keeps doubling down on what's being said. He's got Johnny Cochran's number on speed dial. Exactly. Johnny Cochran being the uh, lawyer he represented uh, O.J. Simpson. Simpson. And you've got Jr. kind of doing the whole, well, you know, he's turned his life around. That was a long time ago, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Lawler just keeps going back to the kind of criminal record thing. 
I think that makes me very, very uneasy as well because that's your kind of authority voices giving you the narrative to follow during the match and... Jerry Lawler's terrible at everything, yeah. always. He's uh, an idiot. Let's Booker uh, T calling Hulk Hogan the N-word. It's going to laugh at that for a bit. <laughs> and also CM Punk's tweet when Hulk Hogan got struck from the Hall of Fame, where everyone went, what, Hulk Hogan's a racist? And then CM Punk tweeted, well, you heard Booker T, you finally got him. <laughs> one, one thing I will say, though, Booker T, I actually, from the current product, miss Booker T. Now Jonathan Coachman is there. Oh, he's bad as Coachman makes, makes David Otunga look like a good commentator. Exactly. Um, let's move on. Elsewhere on the card, there was some god awful crap involving the Miller Lights catfight girls and Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson. We'll skip past that and focus on the actual women's match that took place. Actual woman Carrie Dunn. Uh, this triple th- triple threat between reigning champion Victoria Jazz and the winner of the match Trish Stratus um, was pretty good. It was. And again, I think it's interesting the way we kind of we we, we forget how good some of these women mas- women's matches were, as Carl was saying, um, because they get overshadowed by your Miller Lite catfight girls having some kind of pillow fight on a bed in the middle of the ring and then pantsing Jonathan Coachman. Because they were arguing about who created WrestleMania. One of them thought it was Vince. One of them thought it was Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Um, yeah, I yes, thought I thought. <laughs> I thought no. I thought the triple threat match was was really good for what it was. Again, and I've talked before in previous episodes about these women working their asses off um, to very little effect um, because the crowd are just not being given reason to think this is important because they're being told that you know your cat fight is important. That's what the women are really here for. But yeah, I thought it was a good luck match. Jazz's bit when she comes out, she does like, like the power pose and then turns it into double pistol guns. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Like, go off and wrestle. Uh, was watching this with Cordelia and she was astonished that there was wrestling this good in 2003 because, much like me, we've all been told it was Miller Lite Catfight. Um, it's just a really good triple threat. And again, it doesn't have that whole thing of it's A versus B and then C sometimes on the sideline. They really meld in all together. Victoria's moonsault. Yeah. is one of the better moonsaults I've seen in all of WWE history. I'd put it up there with Angle and Charlotte Flair's in terms of just how good and clean and crisp it is. And yeah, it's it's a real shame. It, it gets largely overlooked. But hey, it was higher up on the card than the Undertaker match. So, good. <laughs> Jazz, by the way, if you're not familiar with her, she was a two-time women's champ who was married to Rodney Mack, who had a brief and successful run um, with the company. Anton, we also got a genuine WrestleMania classic of a match between Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. Shawn not long back from his hiatus and apparently a changed man backstage. Jericho healing it up here. Shawn would win after 22 minutes and then Jericho hits him in the nuts after. Um, this was just wonderful. Was it as good as that? Yeah. I don't think it was as good as that. I think it was good. It was five, good. It was five it was, minutes too long. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I've got written down. I, it, it was, it's a good match, but it didn't... It's got two separate act ones. Are you finding now then, Carl? Because I was thinking this is your this is your match of the night because it's the workhorse match and this is going to be the time when you're going to say, oh, Chris Jericho, he didn't always just have rubbish matches at WrestleMania, but but you weren't a huge fan of this one. No, this is it. This, this, is, this is where Chris Jericho is wrestling David Bowie makes his genesis and this is an amazing match it is five two minutes too long and it's it's got great stuff it's young hbk and he can still move in his young tight hbk um so he can still move to all the ridiculous ability and i'm very concerned by the fact he's wearing quite a big crucifix near his throat 
I keep thinking it's going to like get him in the Adam's apple. It's got amazing Jericho when he's just like, I'm going to heal off and copy everything you do. Um, the whole gimmick of I don't want to be the next HBK, I want to be the first Chris Jericho is great. I want someone to do that now with Chris Jericho in the role. As I don't want to be the next Chris Jericho, I want to be the first. Everyone copies Chris Jericho now, so you can do it with so many other wrestlers. <laughs> um, and it, it, is, it is a lovely match. But when, when people, you know, you go on your big WWE breakdowns of greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, this is always up there in the top 10. That surprised me, yeah. Um, no, it, it's top 25, top 30. It's not a top 10. What do you think, Carrie? Yeah, I'm kind of inclined to agree it's a little bit too long. I think I enjoy kind of the first probably six or seven minutes. And yeah, then I kind of started thinking, okay, where are we going with this? I really enjoyed Jericho. I, f- I, f- I forget how good he is every so often. Should, should he have won or did he get his heat back with the um, low blow? No, I think I think uh, the, the way, I think the denouement was fine. <laughs> I just think, uh, yeah, perhaps it took a little bit too long to get there. I'm never a fan of a win with a roll-up in such a big match. Mm. I feel that let it down a oh, little bit as I, well. I like wins with a roll-up when it's old man versus young man or when it's siblings or tag partners. Because the storytelling there isn't you're better than me. It's just I'm just a little bit more wizened and experienced. The story they're telling throughout this entire thing. Jericho's trying to be... So Jericho's doing really well trying to be the first Chris Jericho. And then HBK more or less suckers him into, come on, then try and out-HBK me. And that's when HBK starts winning. Blah, 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 blah. So that's why Jericho winning with a sweet chin music doesn't work. Because he's trying to copy HBK when he should just be trying to be something. And then eventually HBK suckers him in. So HBK's not really a face here. He's doing the fun HBK thing where he's like, I'm still a dick, but I'm a sexy boy. <laughs> um, which is why it's okay he gets the roll up. And it's it's even better that Jericho kicks him in the nuts afterwards because Jericho's just like, I'm going to get you later. <laughs> which they do in 2008 with that amazing feud. Uh, right, we're getting close to going home here. If you're wondering why we aren't discussing the Hall of Fame, well, there was no class this year. In fact, WWE didn't induct anyone between 1997 and 2004. Uh, earlier on in the night, RVD and Kane were beaten by the Raw Tag Team Champions Chief Morley, a.k.a. Val Venus, and Lance Storm following interference from the Dudley Boys. The first match on the main card was for the Cruiserweight title as Matt Hardy used nefarious means to fend off the challenge of Rey Mysterio. Now, I'm 36, so I felt a hell of a lot older when um, Mr. Anchor asked the PU WhatsApp group who is shannon moore um he was with matt here carl what have you learned about matt's pal who accompanied him to ringside he's the version one of bray wyatt maybe i have no idea <laughs> like tyler breeze. <laughs> what he looks like tyler breeze doesn't he yeah he had he, he had fairly rubbish hair for a lot of the time he was kind of smack down cruiserweight fodder um he owns a tattoo parlor and there ends the lesson. Oh, good for Shannon him. Moore. He seems Matt, to have Matt, found his Matt, place. Matt Hardy version one. You just see the the VT opening VT. You're just like, oh, that's dated, isn't it? I, I feel old. <laughs> but the idea of that was to, he would go to like version ten. I think was the peak, wasn't it? And it was one of those classic. Um, Vince just didn't get it and like her. Okay. Um, and has anyone or everybody watched the Hardys twenty four and have anything to say on it? It's very good. Yeah, it's kind of sad, isn't it? And yeah. when you get to the end and Jeff talks about his latest DUI and Matt's like, I worry about Jeff. You feel like maybe Matt's it's got it under control. Still unresolved. Mm. Matt, yeah, but then Matt's got it under control because... There's the wife and kid. Yeah. yeah. Matt's, well, but so also, it's Jeff, but, hasn't he? But, but also he's happy. He's got, his, he's got his gimmick and he found that. But actually Jeff, you know, he went out, he was out injured while he got his latest DUI and how much of it is connected to success and how much of it is connected to needing to be in the ring. Mm. 
We've gone through our run of great Undertaker matches at WrestleMania. Here we get the Dead Man winning a handicap match against A-Train and Big Show. Uh, it was supposed to be a tag team contest, but Taker's partner Nathan Jones was such a calamity in the ring, they took him out on heat before Mania. He did show up at the end of the match looking fresh as a daisy to get involved in the finish. Um, our friends from the group of Floppy Crackers showed up here. We were asked to please welcome WWE's favourite band in the whole world, Limp Biscuit. They perform rolling as Taker eventually heads to the ring. Um, we may never know what Vince's favourite Limp Biscuit song is, but the real question here, Anton, is who do you think's got the hairier back out of A Train and Rigid Keys? I say, I, uh, I just love the floppy crack ad. Early, this is a good start. Uh, Nathan Jones, who is also the Luton Town Manager, that that, that threw me as well. Um, so a lot of it was just really confusing for me. There was so much, and yeah, uh, good old A Train, good old uh, Albert. Who'd have thought that he'd go on to be effectively the head trainer? I thought, actually, this match wasn't terrible, and that's largely because Nathan Jones wasn't in it, but it, it was kind of, you thought, oh, this is going to be a bit gross, but even Big Show was moving around fairly freely. It's competent. A-Train, a Albert, uh, Lord Tensai is... Sweet Tea. Sweet Tea is a <laughs> good, too great wrestler. Uh, I'd say you give him the right dance partner, you can get your good three and a half star match, and that's probably why he's a trainer. Um, you talk about, from what I understand, is the best trainers are your mid card people because they know how can I like divorce myself with ego, how can I make my opponent look good, how do I make sure everyone's safe and accounted for, and I'm not blessed with prenatural God given talent, so I'm going to teach you how to do it properly rather than just do. Rather than screaming, just do a front roll already. I'm going to teach you the basics of doing a front roll so you do it properly and you don't ruin your shoulders in later life. Um, and A-Train, I watched loads of wrestling on uh, Channel 4, Sunday Night Heat. It was on Channel 4 when I was growing up as a kid. So I my wrestling diet was A-Train matches, test matches, Rikishi matches, Scottie Duarte stuff. And then eventually I got to watch main event stuff. So A-Train was my expectation of what A-Train was is way higher than average people who can watch like episodes of Raw. So watching him fight Undertaker, yeah, obviously he would, because he can throw Undertaker around, and it's, it's understated how much better Undertaker matches are when he's fighting someone who can just pick him up. All right, um, last but not least, we've got a triple threat match for the WWE Tag Team oh, Championship. Jones. You want to say something about Nathan Jones? I'm just going to make this noise. He <laughs> was really bad. Well, it was the fact that he came out like he'd just had the best night's sleep of his life and hey I'm ready to kick somebody in the head dude you just got beat up like an hour ago I think confusing was the word Anton used and that's how I felt about the entire the entire segment I genuinely thought my network had skipped something because I just did not understand what was happening and I was like what what where what it hadn't skipped anything that was literally what they put on the telly he comes out does a really good spinning heel kick for a guy who's six foot six then he He's meant to come in for, to give a big boot to Albert, but the way he stands is a real sort of. Do you ever go to Disneyland and they every now and again they give like a nine year old a lightsaber and go, you can go beat up the act who's dressed up as Darth Vader and the kid's like, Aah! wild and that's what I thought. It was like, you're why why are all your limbs in the wrong place? Why do you not? <laughs> why you just like turn a bit and then you know he's trying to like touch Undertaker and raise his hand and whatnot and take is either too tired or just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, last but not least, we've got a triple threat match for the WWE Tag Team Championship as Team Angle, a.k.a. Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, retain the straps by beating Chris Benoit and Rhino and Los Guerreros. Eddie and Benoit, as we know, they'll have a much bigger role to play in 12 months' time, and we've spoken about them at length. What about Haas, Rhino and Chavo? Uh, Rhino's still with the company. What about the runs of the other two, Carrie? Obviously, Chavo's sort of in the news a little bit at the moment because he is um, one of the people sort of directing the wrestling scenes in Glow, which has just aired season two on Netflix. He had kind of like some good bits in WWE and then he had the Kerwin White bits. I've always found Chavo quite a, quite a puzzling kind of performer. I've never found him particularly interesting to watch, even though obviously he's very good and perhaps kind of directing wrestling scenes is going to be something that you know be his real niece and he'd be really good at because technically he's fantastic i just don't remember ever watching something that he was in and thinking yeah i really enjoyed chavo in that if that makes sense this is a good match this is a decent tag match and there's loads of talent in this match and charlie has so <laughs> it's... young small eddie guerrero doing tag team stuff with chavo you mentioned this before about how when you watch a uzo's match there is no pause because they're siblings and they've brought up to, and there's no pause. They just understand everything based on hand actions and whatever's going on. And you get that in this match. The transitions between them are so seamless. And Rhino is amazing. And I'm, I love the fact that Rhino is able to do everything he does when apparently he's like a really big germ foe. So I know a lot of this is quite hard for him to like get in the ring that's been spat with blood and sweat. Like I feel gross stepping into a ring knowing someone's spat in it. So. Let alone right bled now. all over. <laughs> also, also yeah. Team Angle disciples. I love that. <laughs> Just, and damn right he should have disciples, people who wanted to be with him. You know, under Heyman as well at the time. Brilliant. So that was WrestleMania 19, a cocktail of great matches, blood, the Miller Light Girls, crack addiction and racism, a real mixed bag. Don't forget the 9-11 references as well. <laughs> well, just to, just to no, cap it off. 9-11. Invasion of Iraq references. Oh, lots of those. Oh, You're doing God. the right thing, doing guys. Right You're thing, doing guys. the right thing. Get it over quick, kick their asses and come back home. God bless America. Um, is that your WrestleMania moment? Um, no, it's even worse. It's it's the pound to damn sign in between the Miller catfight, which is just a weird confluence of... I often think about how John Cena was the person to announce Osama Bin Laden's death on an episode of... It would have been SmackDown. And how utterly bizarre and... It, featured in an episode of Screenwrite with Charlie Brooker just going I don't understand media anymore here's John Cena announcing Bin Laden dying wrestling and military activities every time they interact you go I should switch off Anton follow that what's your Wrestlemania moment something from the middle of like catfight girls it's watching the Spanish announcer get hit I still don't know whether it was supposed to happen or not and I find that kind of thing funny Carrie well, Limp Bizkit, obviously. They're my favourite band of all time. Yeah, quite. Good shout. I'm going to go for Austin having OMR in his jacket. That always brings a tear to my eye because um, I'm, I'm a bit of a weeper. And um, We'll be back next week when we're heading to the Sky Dome in Toronto for WrestleMania 18, where The Rock learns a valuable lesson in crowd manipulation from Hulk Hogan. Stone Cold takes offence having to wrestle Scott Hall. The Undertaker and Ric Flair get to juicing. And Booker T and Edge clash over a Japanese shampoo commercial. All that and more on next week's show. In the meantime, Carrie, where can people keep up with you on Twitter? At Carrie Sparkle. And Carl. And Command 616. And Anton. At Sky Anton. I am at Matt Davis FC. We are at the PU Podcast. Rate, review, share and subscribe. Until next time, I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. 
For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.